hydrate or dehydrate. Okay. Hydrate or dehydrate. I just we okay. You're just racking up a list of catchphrases now, and we just need to keep a list. That's another one. He 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 he. Also, side note: me and John were a little drunk last night, and we came home and watched all three episodes of Marcel the Shell with shoes on. OG Marcel the Shell with shoes on on YouTube, and then I put on the Harry Potter puppet thing because obviously. Do you know how many oh, views uh, that video has? That shit will get stuck in your head. No. Do me a favor. Guess how many views that Harry Potter puppet show has on YouTube. Oh, gosh. I'm talking probably upwards of 3 million. Not even close. Oh, gosh. How much? That video is 16 years old. That video has 201 million views on YouTube. Oh, my God. There's some... There's multiple probably 10-year-olds out there that think it's the greatest thing ever, so they just play it on repeat. Yeah, well, also, I don't know if you noticed, but it's also now a trending audio on TikTok. So it's coming, it's having its second wind. Not surprised. It's all of us millennials. They're like, remember this? And then, like, we see it on TikTok, and it's like nostalgia. Okay. So back to depressing stuff. So what I wanted to say before was, please keep in mind that due to the time period this is set in, which I haven't said yet, and the world events happening at the time, and the age of the case, I don't actually have the specific names of her victims or the children that she murdered. I only have some information. And the only good thing, I guess you could say this is a not-so-fun fact, but the only good thing that came out of the Dagmar Overby case and her arrest was she caused the first real child care provisions in Denmark for children born out of wedlock. So there were none before this. And then after this case, it became such a huge uproar in the community that it actually provoked change for the betterment of unwed mothers and children out of wedlock. So that's the only positive that really came out of this case. So a little bit about her early years. So Dagmar was born on April 23rd, 1887 to Sean and Anne-Marie Overby in a small village, Assendrup, in Denmark. She lived a a fairly normal childhood. She had a fairly normal family. No real traumas that I could find were recorded. Her parents were a very high honor. Like they took very... They took much pride in their work. They were also very poor farmers. So they didn't have really anything to show for it, but they did take a lot of pride in their character. That went really far within their community, and that does play a big part later on. She was known to be fussy. She really couldn't self-soothe, which I thought was interesting. She was a very demanding child. And she actually didn't really apply herself in school, even though she was really smart and she was actually the top of her class, but she didn't really care about school. She didn't really try. And she was known to steal and commit petty theft. And it just didn't really work out for her. So in 1899, when she was 12 years old, she was caught stealing a neighbor's purse. Now, this wasn't new. She had been stealing for a while. 
but this was the first time she was actually caught. And when she was caught, this upset her parents so much because they were like, we're hardworking people. We're very honest people. We're God-fearing people. And you have just brought shame and disappointment on our name. So they actually, at 12 years old, sent her away to work on a farm that was hours away from the home. So they sent her there to learn her lesson. So that's where she's at 12 years old. Now, at this farm that she was sent to work at, her job duties included the following. Doing the laundry, cooking all of the food for the family, milking all of the cows, and cleaning the house. So for all of this hard work, she was paid a very menial wage of in today's money would basically be about, well, I guess in 1899, U.S. dollars would equate to about 28 cents a month. Um, that would equate, so back then it was 28 cents a month. That would equal about $10 in today's money or roughly like 72 Danish kroner. That's just an estimate, not a very exact number, but she really wasn't like living the life of the wage that she was making. But to give you some more perspective on what does that really look like, the average monthly salary of a maid in Denmark is roughly about 14,700 Danish kroner, which translates to about $2,177.55 USD. This is all according to Google. So I don't know about you, but in today's money, it's kind of hard to live off of $2,100 a month. So she wasn't living large, right, at 12 years old. Eventually, she got really tired of doing all this grueling grunt work, and she decided she was going to leave. So she left the farm, and she decided to take up work as a housekeeper for other families around the town. And eventually, she was like, this fucking sucks, and she turns back to stealing. And she does some more stealing and petty theft. Eventually, she gets caught again. But this time, because she's older, she's sent to a woman's prison. So she gets sent to this woman's prison for a short time. And eventually, she's released. After her release, she moves back to her hometown. And she takes up a job as a waitress. And while she's waitressing, she meets a man named Bisgard. Now, Bisgard is very charming. She falls in love. They decide to have the premarital relations, and she gets pregnant. So they move in together, they live together, and they have a son together. They don't ever get married, but they just, they attempt to have a relationship. They attempt to be a family, but overall things don't work out. Bisgard leaves not long after his son is born, and because she's so distraught by this, it's not long after his departure that their son dies under mysterious circumstances. The coroner's autopsy does note that the baby showed signs of strangulation. Ultimately, though, they decided that the baby died due to complications with pneumonia and everything like that. So they chalked up his death to pneumonia and. Dagmar ultimately walks free. We don't, there's nothing ever brought against her in terms of the murder of her son. So it's assumed she killed him, but not proven. In 1912, she's now 25 years old. She becomes pregnant with her second child. And 
This would be her daughter, Arena. And she becomes pregnant by a man who's 56 years old. And his name is Anton Nielsen. But it's not long after she, yeah, it's not long after she gets pregnant by Anton that she fell in love again, but this time with a man named Jens Sorensen Fien. So she falls in love with Jen and she wants to be with him. When he met her, he didn't know that she was pregnant with another man's baby at the time. And because of the time period we're talking in, she didn't want him to face more societal embarrassment. So as soon as she had the baby, she put her daughter up for adoption. The next year in 1913, she does become pregnant for the third and final time, but this time it is with Jen's baby. But the problem is, even though it's a boy and he should be happy, he didn't want to have children. And he tells Dagmar that she should have an abortion. She should terminate the pregnancy. And she says, absolutely not. I'm not doing that, which is in my opinion, in her right, she should decide what she wants to do with her body. But she said she's not going to have an abortion. So she has the baby. But this time, she decides that because she wants to keep Jens and she wants to stay with him, she has to get rid of her child. Jens tells her he's never going to marry her. They will never have a relationship like that. And so he ultimately leaves her. She's so distraught by him abandoning her, essentially, she takes her son and she leaves him in a haystack to die. So she would rather leave him in a haystack to die than terminate her pregnancy early on. I mean, yeah. clearly she's gone through some trauma with these men, clearly, but still. Like, she knows the whole adoption thing because she, she did that with her first. So she knows how to go about doing that. It's not like she doesn't know how. It's not like she doesn't have the resources to do that. So does that to me it doesn't make sense to do something like that unless she was that upset that she's she saw it more as like a piece of him. Oh, that's a good point. I was gonna bring up something very similar. It's interesting to me that the out of the three children she had, the two boys she killed, but she didn't kill the daughter. True. And I think too, you have to look at the relationships that she had in relation to each child. Was it uber traumatic? The breakup? Was it them leaving? That too, I think, plays a big role as well. Because I feel like, was it the other one that she killed and also the guy left her? I don't know which other one you're referencing, but you see that pattern happens a lot. The other boy. Yes. When Bisgard leaves her. It's not long after Bisgard leaves that her son dies of mysterious causes. See, that's where I think it is then because it's whenever a man leaves her is when she ends up murdering that child. Because the daughter, if I'm not mistaken, that was the one that she had with the... Was that the one that she had with the 56-year-old or 52-year-old? Yes. So that one, because... She ended up finding another man anyways. Maybe that's why she didn't kill the daughter. I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, she was with Jen when she had her daughter, and then she put her up for adoption immediately, and it wasn't until she was pregnant with his son, and then he left her, that their son died. Yeah. 
Interesting. Interesting to, to talk about. But she went one step further. So as I said, Jen was like, we're never going to get married. I don't want to marry you. And so she spirals because he leaves her. She kills their son. And then she attempts suicide. But obviously, if that had worked, wouldn't be covering this case. So she fails suicide after Jen's. And then nothing really happens for another few years until 1915. So in 1915, just three years after the birth of her daughter and giving her up for adoption, Dagmar decides that she wants her daughter back. She's I have changed my mind. I've had a change of her. So somehow, magically, in this, I mean, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. But somehow, she's actually able to find her daughter and reconnect with her. And then she decides they're going to leave and build a new life in Copenhagen. So they leave the small little farm town they're in and they move to the big city of Copenhagen at the time. This is kind of where her daughter falls off. We don't really know what happens or becomes of her daughter after this point. I think she lives, but we don't really know anything more that happens or becomes of her daughter. So don't ask because I have no idea. So they move to Copenhagen, and she opens up a candy shop slash bakery. During this time that she's running this business, she's having some success. She meets another man, and she, yet again, falls in love with him, and they all decide to move in together. So they're going to be this happy little family. And it's not long after, after her shop and her bakery goes under that he kind of leaves them as well. And then around this time, so her relationship has failed, her bakery and candy shop has failed, she's reading the paper, and she reads this story about how a family got 500 kroner, which equates to about $74 in today's money, for adopting a baby. Now what that really, I mean, obviously we have to look at the time difference, by some Google calculations, 500 kroner in 1915 would roughly batch out to about $2.48 in USD or $74 today. This is when she decides that she wants to become an unofficial child caretaker. Now, I know that $74 doesn't sound like a lot of money, but 500 kroner back then was a lot of money. It was actually a more than a, how much was it? It was a big chunk of change for especially a woman's salary. And so she saw some money in this. So she decides she's going to strike up a new business and kind of become a middleman or a middlewoman, if you should say, between out-of-wedlock children and adoptive homes. So this is kind of what her business as a child caretaker consisted of. Mind you, this is an illegitimate business. She actually never created a business. She just started doing this, and obviously that works in her favor for a while. So in exchange for money, she acted as the middleman, if you will, for children out of wedlock who either did not, or for women who did not want these children, or they could not care for them, and they needed to have them rehoused. Like I said, all unofficially, of course, and most, she started off charging women $12 a month. And then they would pay every single month to take, for her to take care of the child. And then once she rehoused them, the payments would stop. 
Eventually, she would move on to a year's worth of payment, which I think was like 500 kroner or something. She's like, you give me one lump sum for the year and I will rehouse your child, the family who wants them, right? And again, reminding everyone, like during this time, like children conceived out of wedlock or before marriage, like this was a huge scandal. This was detrimental to your image in society especially if you were, I mean, especially if you were a woman, but really if you're a man, like if you and you have a girlfriend and she's pregnant before you guys get married, like you both look terrible, but the minimum, the man can redeem himself a little bit more than the woman. So just kind of keep that in mind. That's why it's such a huge deal. Okay. So the murders. Um, One child we know about was only three weeks old and his name was Henry. Dagmar found him and his mother inside of a paper advertisement she had placed to find someone to adopt her son. She contacts the mother, and after taking her money, which was $12 a month, and the baby, she promptly puts him into a stroller, and she takes him for a walk. What she ends up doing next is she strangles little Henry to death, and then she dumps his body in a public restroom. Are you disgusted? Very. Good, because it gets worse. Oh, I know. Yeah, I remember a little bit. Yeah. So this wasn't just any public restroom. This was the community bathroom in a cemetery. And just three days later, the cleaners of these public bathrooms would find his little body And this was the same day that Dagmar wrote a letter to his mother saying that he was not fussy at all and he never cried, which I guess is true. Yeah. Yeah. She murdered him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to kind of jump to what got her captured. So she's already by this point, to our knowledge, killed three children assumed for maybe but there was a woman named caroline um agason so caroline placed an ad in the paper looking for someone to adopt her three-week-old illegitimate daughter her family refused to accept the baby into the house and so she was so worried for the child she was looking for someone to take the child dagmar sees the ad she reaches out to her They make up a deal, and then Dagmar picks up the child promptly the next day. So, add in paper, they connect. The next day, Dagmar picks up the child. And then the day after that, Caroline comes back to her house. So, Caroline also paid her a year's worth of payment up front. The day after Dagmar picks up her child, Caroline comes back to her house and says, you know what? I have had a change of heart. I actually don't want to give up my daughter after all. Can I please have her back? Didn't ask for her money back. She just wanted her child. And Dagmar is really taken aback. She's not prepared for this. And she's, oh, I lost my address book, but I actually adopted her out to a really loving family already. How about you come back tomorrow? And I can give you their address. I just have to find my address book. And she's okay. She's already seemed a little off. What Caroline didn't know was within the 24 hours, 
that she gave her daughter to Dagmar, she had thrown her three-week-old baby into her oven and burned her alive. That's probably the worst part to me, though, is that I know this is, like, awfully morbid, too, but the fact that they were alive, like, the suffering there, like, it wasn't like she was just purely doing it to give her bodies or whatever that it was. It was literally that's she wanted them to die via burning to death. And, like, the lack of remorse. Like, she just, it's like she's, I just think of the scene from, what was it, that one movie there's that one animated movie about moses or whatever and they have like holding like the babies like the hieroglyphs look like they're holding the babies by the foot and i just feel like her holding like holding his baby and just, like chucking it into a fucking oven like a gas oven. it was dark anyway so caroline leaves she comes back so this happens for like, a day or two She's giving her the runaround. She keeps saying she doesn't remember the address. She's like, listen, I can't get the baby back from the family, blah, blah, blah. Caroline's like, you know what? This seems off. I don't like this. So Caroline actually goes to the police. And Caroline's, I'm not fucking around. So Caroline goes to the police. And they actually take this really seriously. The police file a report against Dagmar. And then they immediately come to her home. So... I would say within 48 hours, the police were at Dagmar's door and they decided they're going to search the property. But the police were not prepared for, they were coming in search of a missing child. They were not prepared for, and I say this in all sincerity, the graveyard they were about to walk into. Here's what they found. Upon investigating Dagmar's home, they found the little girl, Catherine's little girl's clothes and the charred remains of her skull in the stove. Further investigation, they discovered the remains of other children in her cupboards and one infant who was almost mummified between two of her roof beams. She just stuffed him up there. So they found a lot in her home. But why those places? Like, why not bury them? That's what doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, one of the sources that I'll cite at the end, they mentioned, and I agree with their theories, she dumped she dumped the first few bodies. Like, her, her second child, or her third child, she left in a haystack to be left for dead. She dumped Henry in a public toilet. Like, at some point, she was like, these bodies are going to be found. And she probably thought it was safer to kill them and then stash their bones and such in her home rather than dumping the bodies. And I'm like, that would make sense to me as to why she suddenly changed from, like, dumping the bodies to disposing of them inside. But, yeah, like, stashing them in weird places, like, in the roof cupboard, like, the roof boards. And then, like, she had their bones and skulls like in jars and stuff in her cabinets like she wasn't really doing anything other than just i don't know where to put this i guess i'll just put it in a jar like it needs to be preserved i don't know man yeah no i mean it's borderline yeah. also when like killers do trophies and stuff like that in my opinion so she's arrested obviously she's arrested and she confesses to actually killing 16 children over the course of seven years. So she just 
talks about these 16 children that she killed. And she says that she would either drown them, she would strangle them, or she would burn the children alive in her oven. Even though she confessed to 16 murders, she would only be convicted of nine because the police could only find nine confirmed bodies inside of her apartment. So that's where I say it's assumed she's killed anywhere from nine to 25 children, including two of her own, right? During her trial, I mean, there's a potential. It was stated. We don't know what really. I have no idea where her fucking kid is. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, during all this research, I was like, where is her kid? Like, where is her daughter during this entire time? I can't find any records. So I don't know. Maybe her kid ran away. Maybe she killed her kid. We really don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's awfully suspicious. So during her trial, it was quoted as saying she would go from displaying highly dramatic episodes to cold-blooded indifference feigned feigned despair and surrendered cheerfulness so i had a note in here where i kind of quoted my old notes i kind of quoted the dsm-5 but basically just to kind of talk about like when we think about what we do know about her childhood and her inability to self-soothe she was really irritable and like hard to deal with as a child. She was really intelligent, but she didn't try anything. She's really emotionless. She cares more about keeping the men in her life than the children that she bore. And she doesn't have any kind of remorse for what she did. She can talk about these things just so nonchalantly. She's like I said, devoid of emotion. And I'm like, these are all kind of lining up. And again, I'm not a clinical psychiatrist, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But it gives me like antisocial personality disorder. You know what I'm saying? With a possible hint of a bipolar or multiple personality disorder or something like that in there. Yeah. Not sure. We don't really get a whole lot of info, but... This is where her crime really sparked debate amongst the people around foster care and the mothers and these unwed mothers needing assistance because at this point in time, abortion was illegal and there were no programs in place to assist women who had illegitimate children or to take care of these foster children. So the people were divided. They were like, okay, yeah, like what she did was bad, but In a sense, she was kind of the only haven these women could go to. Like, they had these illegitimate children. They were born out of wedlock. Their families wouldn't accept them. Their husbands or boyfriends or whoever's wouldn't accept them. So they needed to house them. And their only option at that point was to put an ad in the paper and hope that somebody adopted them when this woman was like, I can take care of your child for a fee. And then I will let you know when they're rehoused to a family that will that wants them and loves them. It's a win-win for them. And it's like, what other options did they really have? They didn't know that she was going to kill these children. But like, what were their other options at that point? Right. She was really smart at the fact that she saw a hole and she filled it, basically. Yeah, we're dealing with this in today's society. Because back alley abortions, are were, especially then, were so dangerous Women would rather go to term, have a baby, 
and get rid of the baby than risk dying during an abortion. So that's just kind of where they were. And so everybody was like up in arms like, yeah, what she did was terrible and we're not going to let that go. But had there been these things in place, this may have been prevented. So that's kind of where everybody was like, social justice needs to change, which is impressive. It's unfortunate that it usually takes catastrophic things like this to happen, but it did, right? So Dagmar would eventually be sentenced to death on March 3rd, 1921, at the age of 34 years old by, get this, it's 1921. Here are her, there's options. They gave them options for how they should kill her, which was either beheading, the guillotine, or an axe. So it's, which one do you want to do? Pick your poison, if I dare say. And I'm just like, dark ages? Like, those are very dark agey type killing methods. I mean, especially for 1921. But then again, who am I to judge Denmark's death sentence policy in 1921? Also, it's like, she deserved it. Because any one of those is not great. Yeah. It's unfortunate that burn her alive at the stake wasn't an option. Felt fitting, but. Yeah, that, that, that's a shame. But, you know. Yeah. She but her sentence would actually. The same as. Yeah, eye for an eye. Oh, her sentence would actually end up being commuted to life imprisonment because the king of Denmark at the time wanted to modernize Denmark and felt the death penalty was unfitting of a woman. I'm sorry, how? Your guess is as good as mine. So she gets commuted to life in prison. While she's in prison, she does develop prison psychosis, and eventually she would go on to die at the Western Prison on May 6, 1929, at the age of 42. In 1923... Only four years later, a law would be passed that gave the responsibility of providing care and supervision for foster children to the state. The government built establishments and workers to care for these children born out of wedlock. So this was kind of the big thing that happened after her entire case. So again, the only positive thing to come out of the Dagmar Overby case. I have one not-so-fun fact for you. So as I said before, she was known as Denmark's most notorious serial killer. Along with that, she was actually, as of this recording, as far as I know, only one of three women in 20th century to be sentenced to death in Denmark as well. Even though she didn't actually get killed, she was actually sentenced. She was only one of three women to receive that sentence. And before I cite my sources, that is Dagmar Overby. Thoughts, feelings, comments? It's hard because, you know, we've talked about it before in previous episodes where, you know, you, you talk about like the death penalty and the theory of deserving whether or not, you know, that should have been the case or not. And that's everybody has their opinion on it. I'm just glad that even though she was able to not hit those horrific deaths, Ultimately, she somewhat got her karma in prison because she went into complete psychosis. 
So she obviously suffered either way. So, yeah. Agreed. It's a wild case and interesting one of study, I think. But to cover my sources and all the sources of the episodes are actually linked in the description below. So if you want to check them out for yourself, you totally can. But the sources I used were Murderpedia, um, the heinous crimes of, what is this? Oh, allthingsofinteresting.com, serial killers. I'm sorry, davidmalaco.wordpress.com. I also listened to The Do's and Donuts of Murder, Serial Killing, a podcast. And I also watched a video on YouTube called The Horrifying Case of Danish Serial Killer Dagmar Overby. And that those were my sources. So if you're listening, you can check us out on Instagram at TAKTV Podcast. You can also send us an email at TAKTV Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch. And if you're listening and not watching us on YouTube, we are there as well at Take a Killer to Brunch. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, if you liked this video, there will be other ones in this vicinity you can take a look at. But thank you guys so much for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. So. Cheers. Cheers.